What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Lonely Wrist podcast, visual edition, all of that. Today, we have a very special guest, my brother, Mike from Zodiac. Welcome, Thanks. buddy. Thanks very much. Nice, nice golf clap. Very, very much appreciate yeah. it. It's great. it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, really looking forward to this. I knew we had to have you on. Just love what you guys are doing at Zodiac. Uh, I'm really excited for the future. And so it's kind of a no-brainer for us. Uh, I think both of us are fans of Zodiac and for sure. <laughs> what, what you're doing with the brand. So, so yeah, that's a pleasure for us. So, well, It means a lot. It's, I think that's one of the main things that I think the community and doing podcasts and so on and so forth, people want this to matter. Again, I think we've kind of, we've shown that we've got the right direction for it. So if we can look after you guys or support people's ideals of what Zodiac should be, I think we're on the right track. I think you're you're head steps and head. So uh should we do we don't do the wrist wrist checks all the time, but maybe we should since, okay. since we've got Mike and he's always got some good stuff Zodiac, going. <laughs> Zodiac. Nice. So obviously I got this one. Oh, I've seen that one too. Yeah, it's a skeleton six dash one five. Went a little bit colorful today. That's pretty yeah. I'm just gonna lock up. <laughs> no Zodiac yet. <laughs> Well, you'll, you'll working be on it, way, Justin. We know a guy. <laughs> we do. He's here in the flesh. So a lot of our audience probably already knows about Zodiac, but for those of those listeners who don't, would you mind filling the gaps for them? Sure. It's a, it's a heritage brand for many, many uh, of the watch community, but it's also quite a new brand for a lot of the recent uh, lovers of watches. Uh, it's been around for 141 years. It was family owned for a century by the Kalam family. Um, everyone will know it for its most famous uh, watch, which was in 1953, the Seawolf. Uh, I'm a big believer that it's, it's nice to kind of see the 70 years before the Seawolf to understand the strength of the brand. Uh, it was some of the first um, moon phases, some of the first pioneers of GMTs, are always innovative, very different with design. And the Kalam family for that century uh, really were fantastic at what they did. And the one thing that I found more and more you, know, you peel the layers of the onion off that, you know, they were, they were very different. And what's quite similar to what's today to what was then is they didn't want to be the norm. They wanted to build it themselves on the power it themselves. And they also wanted to be quite affordable or attainable for the, for the most, for most of the community or most of the watch buying public. And that's what we're kind of, we're trying to do or what we're doing with the price point now in today's relative different uh, differences in terms of numbers. Uh, and also the fun we can have with materials and colors. But in the 80s, um, like many brands, the quartz uh, era happened. And Zodiac, to its credit, tried to keep up with some of the first electronic watches. But the Kalam family uh, fell out of love and ended up selling the brand. And unlike some other brands who kind of went by the way and were uh, just went out of business, then brought back to huge fanfare, uh, Zodiac was sold and also sold to people who didn't really look after it. And so in many ways, it's never gone away. But it was in a very, very different state to what its heyday was of uh, the late 70s, where they were making a quarter of a million watches a year. Um, it was owned by one company through the 80s. Um, like I said, that was a very nominal, very small part of its history in terms of how it was looked after. The 90s, it had some symmetry with Tag Heuer. Uh, the distribution and the distributors who owned uh, the rights, the watches looked quite similar, but there were also some really funky 90s designs that came out there. The big shame, I think, for the 90s is we lost some of the IP or some of the naming rights, some of the iconic uh, watches. So uh, Seawolf Aerospace went off to, to Breitling and I think they did the right thing by they saw a great name they took it but in 2001 it was owned and bought by uh, the Fossil Group and the Fossil Group did 
what Fossil does, and they made some really fantastic fashion watches, but it had a name for you and I and probably your listeners and, and viewers. Maybe it deserved a little bit more in terms of how it's made, where it's made, and, and so on and so forth. So what we've done in the last, especially the last eight years, but I think more targeted the last couple, is to look at ourselves not as being owned by anyone, but being custodians of the name. Uh, and we're treated very differently to the rest of the family in terms of the fossil family. We're built, obviously, in Switzerland. We're powered by our own movement. And so 141 years later, we are looking back to what's right about the name. And if you look at some of the vintage collectors, they, they're looking at us and going, OK, you've got a chance here. Show us that it matters again. And um, it, it's really wonderful. And for me, knitting those two communities together is, is, a, is a point of pride. And that's why I've been doing so much of this storytelling. But it's a, it's an icon in many ways, especially the Seawolf. Yeah, ironically, I don't think most people know this, but so the Seawolf at one time was selling for more than the 50 Fathoms. Yeah, well, it was more, it was a very different watch because the, the case back was really robust. So it could go down deeper than the 50 Fathoms. It was a lot stronger in terms of its aesthetics to... Uh, anything that was out at this time and many dive watch or many brands who wanted a dive watch in their collection looked at the aesthetics of Zodiac over anything else that was out there. And if you look at the sharp tooth hands and numerals of what the Seawolf looked like, I mean, we don't have to go back to a, a time. We go back to our own back catalogue and the Seawolf stands very strong. And I think because of that strength and the way it was built, it was also in the end trusted by a lot of militaries, especially the American side. And that's why, especially here in the US, I don't know where your listeners are, but I think I'm sure a lot of them are here. There's such yep. a kinship to, to what it was because it was trusted by a generation that used it as a tool. Uh, and that's that's some really good stories that we've been finding out as well. It's either the sons or the people who still own their original watches or the families have have taken those stories on. It's it's awesome. Also, another one that I've heard, and I'm, maybe you could dispel the rumor but the okay. Zodiac Killer obviously used your logo. Well, so he he used a logo that looked like, obviously, the sights of a gun. And that's how it kind of went to within uh, the Zodiac nickname and so on and so forth. Um, <laughs> what our logo is, if you, I got my, my cup here just so you see, it's actually a Norsk symbol for time telling. So if you look, I go back to the zenith of the world or you look at Omega, it's always looking to the stars. There's a romanticism to it. Obviously, with what he was doing and what he did, the press took the name and away it went in terms of folklore. We do things that are very uh, much distancing, that, distancing ourselves from it, uh, even to the point where the, the Fincher movie came out, where he wanted to have our watch in the, in the movie. We said no, because people, people passed away. But obviously people know it for certain ways. Or you could even pivot and look at in France, and they make some really cool Zodiac rib boats. So people don't even know sometimes that it's an own watch brand. They think we named a watch after a boat. So it's just all folklore, where you're from, whatever you do. But we uh, we understand why that, that name kind of happened at that time. But, yeah, there's 141 years of history. So we try and jump over it whilst also respecting, you know, who passed away. Yeah. You guys have definitely been around a lot longer than the Zodiac Killer was. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So Maybe he was a fan. It could have been, yeah. They're great watches. But, uh, yeah, well, they, they actually, you know what? We did uh, – we saw um, on – it was last year or earlier this year, I don't know, so much going on. We saw that the person they thought might have been the Zodiac killer was was caught. Um, so that, you know, and they found it after after his passing. So hopefully that's all gone away now. And, but, you know, we have to roll with everything that kind of comes our way, good and bad. And 
like I said, when we were sold in the 80s and we went through different ownership groups, that could be considered bad in terms of business and watch side. But I, I'm a big believer in owning the good and the bad and just acknowledging it. Some people will try and shove it under the carpet, uh, either bad designs or bad movements or you know bad customer service. But it's part of the evolution. It's part of learning. And, you know, we, we've owned the brand from 2001. But this iteration of Zodiac has really only been going for the last five to eight years in terms of who's been given the task. And then obviously I popped on board a couple of years ago. So it's been fun. You, you guys definitely have been uh, putting on the gas. I've noticed that for sure. I'm interested, Mike. Um, what do you guys feel like set Zodiac apart, you know, as a brand in terms of your designs? I know generally no. you guys like to uh, – yes, sir. Yep. I know that generally you guys like to lean on, um, you know, very extravagant colors. Um, you know, you stick to the, the Super Seawolf design and things like that. But what do you think sets you guys apart? I think – a couple of years ago, I would have said just color. I would have, you know, been, and that's not disrespect to anybody who was designing them, but we did color very differently. But I think what we did do at that point was listen to the community. And there's a gentleman called TJ McKnight, who was handed uh, the Zodiac reins alongside a guy called Ryan White, who's the uh, creative director for Zodiac. These guys will have the ideas and then they'll send it to Switzerland. The watches are created, which is brilliant. Um, now there's obviously a little bit of a bigger team all over the world. But they'd listened to the community and they said, what do you guys want from us? And they went through some iconic colors, such as uh, the orange and blue that you would have found in the 70s or looking at the Bakelite blue that we did in the 60s. Uh, some of the old GMTs, but obviously we can't say the word aerospace, but we can have our design with that green triangle. So what I like now is the fact that we can dip into our history and heritage, but we can also then throw pink and polka dots on it and people go, OK, I can still see a Zodiac through that. So I think what sets us apart is that we are obviously very Swiss with a Swiss heritage, but we're owned by an American company who's obviously associated with a lot of different trends or colors or materials. And we can tap into that, unlike anything I've seen in my 17 years in the watch industry. And I think that's very different that we can keep the fun, keep the heritage. Now we've got our own movement, which we'll get into more and more in terms of you know, really having a movement which we can trust, which we're really proud about. We don't have to rely on the supply chain of anybody else. And we can, we can be part of this price point, which is a very business boring thing to say, but you've got to find where you fit. Because if you're a five grand watch, you're against a third of the industry. If you're an eight grand watch, you know, you're going against the big boys. After that, you've got to be something really special. So for us, you look at what's entry level. You go Seiko, and I've got loads, and I love them. And then you start looking at Hamilton's and Tissot's, and then entry level Oris or uh, Quartz Takoya. Where do you find a place within that that matters. So we carved out within this very large group a place where we can take the hit on the margin, make a watch as, as best as we can, but still keep it at a point, a price point that's good for everybody. And I'm under no disillusion that 12 to 1500 bu bucks is a good chunk of change, but it's still attainable by everybody. And if you are a collector, sometimes that type of price point is great to add in for a summer or a winter or a vacation style watch or yeah. a gift. It's not going to matter. And, for me, I love that we've got that ability. So it is, it's a four or five prong attack, but I think we're kind of floating around the middle there with design, iconography, fun, and then price point with the movement. I think you guys do an exceptional job. And just for everybody listening as well, I've always thought that personally Zodiac has some of the best bang for your buck watches that are created in the market. Um, so I think that you guys kind of nail it right on the head. And yeah you don't get a lot within that price segment. Like you don't, you don't get a lot of unique design elements. Like, you know, you have a ton of watches in the sub $700 range. You have 1000 to 
you know, mid $1,200 range where you start to get a little bit of innovation, a little bit of technology. But then once you start getting above that, I mean, you just don't really get any unique designs within that price segment. So, you know, I do, I do agree. I, I think, think it's relatively. When you find that price point as well, and this is, I mean, I'm a, especially when I, I left the watch industry for a couple of years, especially like we all did during COVID. But I, uh, I, I loved finding these micro brands that you would have found at you know, the worn and wound wind up shows. And I got very close to the teams over at Farah or, or Vertex or looking what Nick was doing at Fears and all the different independent, well, William Wood, you know, for example, with a lot of British brands. I obviously went back there for a bit. But what I found was most of those brands are not in a retail setting. So the tough thing with a Zodiac point of view is that we build our watches to make sure we go into a retail store or on a retail partner that can be sold online. And so you think about how you build that price point with margins within that. It's it's a very difficult place to be to appease the money people who are above us. But like I said, we, we feel like we have to, because if we just live online, we can get buried with the next story or, you know, Swatch can come out with another fantastic uh, collaboration with one of their brands, which is grand. But for us, if, if we don't have a retail partner or have the ability to go into retail, then sometimes we can get lost. And we, we're not everywhere just yet. We've, we've built enough watches to now be in places that we weren't before but that's it's always about when you're looking to how to build a brand for me price point's huge but then obviously we've got the people above us who want it to be profitable uh and we kind of we're on that line within the price points that the customers will see but we're also on the line where our, our seniors will go are you sure you don't want to raise prices but we, we feel like it's the right thing to do so how so obviously i'd i'd say arguably fossil has probably one of the best distribution outlets like like they can get watches out there and people they can get them in people's hands you know they've got such a huge footprint for distribution but in my opinion or at least maybe i'm in the wrong places but i haven't seen zodiac following that same retail distribution is there a strategy behind that or is it just kind of you know. You're the first. You're the, I've done too many podcasts. You're the first person that's brought that up because our and I'm, congratulations on that. And thank you because we can go into and I say this again with all the respect. We can go into the Macy's and Dillards of the world, or it, each and every single country has a place that you could find you know, mass shopping areas where we have a footprint that we need to fill. What you're finding with a lot of the industry now is that they're going, yeah, they want to find a Swiss brand or a mechanical brand to fill gaps like that, and I don't want to be in there. If you are going to, and I say, again, I don't want to sound like those snobby people, but I don't want to be misrepresented. I don't want to go in there next to certain brands where we might not look great or they might not look great. So the lovely thing that I find with the independent scene, and I'm talking about your great retailers that are out there, is that the, um, they know how to sell you. They will be able to construct your story in a retail setting on their social, in their website, at an event best than any mass store could be, especially at this this stage. And for me, it was really important that we found in each state, for example, uh, one store that could be a beacon for our brand. And right now we, we're getting there. In the last couple of years, we've, we've ramped up. We don't have anywhere in North Carolina. We don't have anywhere in Vegas, which is brilliant to talk to you guys today. But the idea, the idea is I, am, I want to go to the places that want us back. I don't want to just shove it in there to feel like it's going to succeed. So I want a partnership. And I've said this before on a few different podcasts. I don't want to come across and walk into anyone's door or have our team call up anybody. We want someone to find a good kinship. So we won't cross anybody's door unless we're invited, just like a vampire. So, But once we're in, we're not leaving. 
So, <laughs> so it's it, it is it's it's a massive thing. And you know, away from the US, my first three months was telling all of our distribution partners because Fossil's got you know partners that've got me in every different country. And I told them the story. I told them the plan. I told them the movements. And they got all excited. And at the end of it, I said, but you can't have it yet. Uh, because if we don't get it right in America and the UK, which is our first ports of call, then we won't have the good habits to go into Germany or bigger into Latin America or yeah, the Middle East or Asia. So we're, we're really cognizant of how many we make. We're cognizant that Zodiac's come and gone a couple of different times because it was built in certain ways or we didn't have a core collection to tell. But the strategy of where we go is the most important thing because for me, those 18 inches of glass or a good social or a good website blog are the difference between a successful brand or not. So it's, it's a really good question. Yeah, that's definitely a great question, Blake. Appreciate that answer too, Mike. I'm going to switch this gears, kind of talk about uh, more of the Seawolf. I know you guys get a lot of praise for that watch. I know you have many different models and I'm, I'm sure that we'll speak about different things. Um, <laughs> so many. Yeah, I know it's probably the most iconic, um, but how have you guys kept uh, the collection for the Seawolf thriving over the years? Um, and, you know, can you kind of walk us through the significance of the design and the series of the Seawolf? Sure. I've got um, this might not be great for, for podcasting, but I'll try and describe it as well as I can to help you out. So we like I said, we lost the name Seawolf in the 90s. And so any dive case we call Super Seawolf. Super Seawolf was a saturation diver in the 1960s. And because that was attached as three words instead of one true trademark, we can use Super Seawolf in everything. So what we do is there's a Super Seawolf skin, it's a Super Seawolf compression, Pro Diver, GMT, World Timer. There's a lot of Super Seawolves. But if you look into the collection, it's the subtleties. So within the skin diver, and I'm, I'm holding it up for the, the video. It's got the blurry thing. I'm sorry. But you'll see those um, sharp tooth hands and numerals, 39 millimeter. Our compression watch our super seal compression is the biggest part of our collection. Uh, that's where we were a little bigger at 40 millimeters. That's where we have a ton of fun with color. We have a lot of innovation in terms of dial material. Last year we did meteorite. Uh, we did ceramic casing. You know, we've, we've got a lot of plans for this. And then the super seal pro is our way of kind of nodding us forward. 300 meters, ISO certified, chronometer certified. So within that, those three ranges, we've got three different sizes, three different ideals, three different levels of quality. But they all, if you look at them, feel like a Zodiac should in terms of moving it forward. Uh, then the next bit is making sure that no one gets confused. So with the GMT and the World Timers, it's, that's the aerospace or the World Timer from the 70s. These are iconic designs. And so I think some people have to sometimes look through that name to see what the watch is. But we're kind of dealing with the de the, the hand we're dealt with. And that's that's probably going to change subtly over the next few years. Um, but the Seawolf name itself for right now is the right thing to do. Um, this year's 70 years of the Seawolf. We uh, we didn't want to do what a lot of other brands might do at the heritage anniversary and um, add a bigger movement, add a different material and say, right, here's 15 grand Zodiac because everyone would laugh us out of the building. So what we've tried to do is improve the quality, improve the loom, improve the, the iconography of the story and putting it out there so people know that when you're looking for Zodiac, the first place you might want to look at is the Skin 53 story. And we've now got it in black in a steel bezel, we did a blue, we did a bronze variation recently with Huckberry, and we've got a couple of the colors coming out the rest of this in, in the end of this year. One, a really cool material, and one that we're going to do in a, a really fancy green, which I'll, I, I say the color now because we've kind of teased it on our uh, social media that these things are coming, but material wise, we've not told anybody what's coming at the end of the year. 
but compression, super seawall compression is where the fun's at. It's also where we're going to be, I think we're going to be launching this podcast around the launch of this watch. So I'll tell you about it uh, when, when you ask. But the movement in terms of how we grow and how we get better, we're, we're showcasing that kind of innovation inside the compression watch because it's a design and a size that suits everybody. And that doesn't just include us three on the screen. It's, it's girls, people of all different shapes and sizes. It's just a really good size. So I'd say the compression is a really good place to kind of start. I'd be curious if you could to walk us through like the whole design process. We, we got this. This is the first time. Well, the second time we've asked this question, we've asked it to fairer which had a killer answer. Oh, no can you walk us <laughs> Yeah. Can you walk us through like the journey that a watch goes through before, you know, from idea to to wrist? Yeah, sure. I'll give you my I'll give you my perspective on the outside as a non-designer. I think Rich might look at it a bit different as it's his brand, but what we've got is a really cool team. But I mentioned his name earlier, Ryan White, and there's a gentleman called TJ McKnight. Myself those guys, we've got a gent called John, uh, John Brett, who looks after you know, making sure we hit margins and make sure we can source certain materials at certain prices. And, and in all honesty, it starts as it should do in a, in a room around a table with some ideas of where we're going to want to take a collection or a model and also what the innovations can be. So let's take, um, I'm not going to tell you what's coming, but let's take an idea, just kind of call it Watch X. Um, right. That's going to be for 2025. And so what we look at for 2025, we've got an idea of what the innovation of the movement could be. And then what we have to do is go back to STP, which is our movement company that we own. And then we talk about what, what their capabilities are. And then we kind of see if we can marry that with design. So we, we can start with an idea of the past, start with an idea of innovation, which is I think that's the right thing to do for Zodiac at this time is to maybe hark on some of the older models and then push it forward. And then what we can do with that is then map out a timeline of, uh, designs we, we will have a really lovely kind of sit around the table who likes what you know here's your options of five different styles and then we kind of we vote in it we talk about what's right what's wrong what we could do better and then the swiss team will then get that kind of information and then draw up final ideas and then it comes through in terms of materials so on and so forth and then we we fit that all together with our um our movement manufacturer if you then take something that's part of a collection today and how do you move it forward? That's a lot simpler. A lot simpler. We can talk about colors and materials, and we can talk about bezels and styles. But then that is a cognizant decision. Are you going to just add more colors because they're quite cool and quite fun? And I still think right now, yeah, because there's a lot of colors in the rainbow, and we can go to town with any type of iteration. But for me, the longer point of it is, where do you want the brand to end up? And I think the the long the long answer short for me is that we want people to respect the fact that we are looking after that name and how is that done in our community It's through innovation but we can only do innovation if we've got the, the the movement factory or the movement facility on the same wavelength as us and then can we find an old type of style that will fit with our new uh, innovations and, and the materials that we want to use and then it has to come together and we also have to talk to the big people upstairs to see if this type of price point and this type of open to buy we're allowed to do as we keep going because we have to think in a business sense, probably three to five years ahead going forward, which means how many are you going to make of each model? What type of targeted marketing are you going to need for that? What type of 
um, areas of the world do you think we'll be in and will we be successful when we go there? So there's a million and one different things, but it does still start like everything should around a table with an idea and then it has to go from there. So it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of facets to it. There's a lot of design that I'm not a part of, uh, but we can throw ideas in there and then we can guide what we think in terms of the brand direction. But it's it's a beautiful process to see, especially, you know, the years and years that I've been doing this watch industry, I've been you know, the, the voice and the mouth of it, which has been great. But to do it now within Zodiac and to see in a very open plan environment and, and a really open dialogue style, you get a chance to really see all the different people that can help you. And that also comes from, you know, being owned by, like I said, a very large fashion brand company who can help us in terms of, oh, you want this material, we've got these connections. For a big example of that one would be the meteorite dial we did last year, where they helped us find the broker. And then we had to find the broker who would help get us this piece of meteorite. Then we had to go to the factory and learn how to slice it properly and put the acrylic over the top so nothing crumbled away, so it always looked beautiful. And we didn't want to have any waste. And we found a really good technique. So then we could make three designs out of that one piece of meteorite we did. So it, they help us. They, they know how to use every scent correctly. But like I said, at the end of the day, it's something quite beautiful where you get around the table and you just talk. What do you want the watch to be? I, I would argue that, you know, being owned by Fossil is a huge advantage to, to, to Zodiac because fashion is always thinking about the next idea, you know, and the watch industry is always stuck on old ideas, yeah. you know? So, you know, the big guys up front, uh, up top feel, uh, it seems like they let you guys really have fun with the brand because they come from fashion and they're like, Hey, we want to think about the next 20 years, 30 years. We just don't want to repackage a watch. So you're holding on to the core design elements, but you're still having fun with them. I completely agree. And I, like I said, coming into this company a couple of years ago and seeing it, uh, it's wonderful. They treat you like an adult. You know, they treat, they're there. there's no like, you know, they, they trust you, which is really wonderful. And I think the difference between the fashion side and then what we are is that fashion sometimes comes and goes and changes. We want to always look good so we can lean on that fashion ideal and, you know, the kind of materials they can offer to us or the avenues of openness to add into Zodiac which means you have that really good marriage of looking good, but also being of a moment. But I've got watches uh, too far away to run and grab that we did like 10 years ago that still look good today because Zodiac has a certain aesthetic from yesteryear, which should always resonate. Like you see how I'm just dropped my kids off at school today and you see the teenagers, they're wearing the same clothes that I did in the nineties. Like it all comes around again. Right. Well, so no. yeah. Bootcut jeans. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're rocking that buddy. You're looking good. But with watches themselves, I think there's a nuance to it. And we just want to be a little different. And I think, thank you very much for saying that. I think it's the right way to look at it, that Fossil can help us. And, you know, when I first started it, I was never apologetic about it. But people say, oh, you're in by the Fossil fashion, right? But the more and more I was around the, the, bigger, the bigger parts of our company in terms of the management and the ownership, you know, it gets, what, what was your first watch, Mike? And I'm like, well, actually, it was a Fossil. Then you have a storm watch. Then you do a big Nike or an Adidas. And the more and more I speak to a lot of our, uh, our colleagues or people that are like yourselves in, in, in the, the enthusiast world and blogging and so on and so forth, their first watch could have been something like a fossil as well. And what I realized that when you get older, when I'm talking about old guys and girls, we'll get there in a few years' time, that your last watch could be something like a fossil as well because you're getting it bought for you as a gift. 
in between is where we get the choice to buy what we like. I mean, people always talk about Christmas and, and you know, the big buying season. It's very rare that you buy something like a Zodiac for somebody else unless you really, really know them. But when I buy a watch or I get a watch, I buy it myself because it's for me. And I think most of our community does. So as long as we can keep filling in those gaps of choice, and that means being a bit innovative, being a bit different, I think it's grand. Um, I, I, I sold a watch to a guy who walked straight into a store. You know, he was oozing money. You know, he just pulled up in his McLaren and you know, he went and bought this really expensive, I think $25,000 Breitling. For, uh, and it was amazing. Like, you could just see, it's like, boom, I'm just going to just swipe my card. But he had these orange sneakers on. I said, hey, man, I love your sneakers. I've got a watch same color. And he goes, oh, yeah, throw it in. Like, it's, <laughs> it, it, just because the color. Or it could be that on the other side, uh, you know, a younger guy or girl goes, actually, I've, I've always wanted this because it reminds me of that the, and the other, and it's my palette, and I'm saving up for it. And I think that's a lovely place that we can be um, in terms of all that. I love that you guys, your watches always have such wrist presence, in my opinion. Like, they just ooze personality, uh, which is one of the personal reasons why I love them. Uh, you know, some you've got some old boomers and things like that. They're like, oh, we don't want loud watches and things. But I always lean into that with you guys. And I think that that's a really cool aspect. I'm curious, Mike, about the, uh, you know, kind of like the craftsmanship and the uh, the precision that goes into to making uh, Zodiac watches. I know we probably talked a little off the stream about that. But can you tell us a little more about the craftsmanship of your watches? Yeah. So uh, about a decade ago, uh, Fossil bought a place um, that was for Fossil Swiss. We owned Burberry at the time. Uh, Armani's got a Swiss part of its collection as well, which I think sometimes gets missed. Really good watches. And obviously we owned Zodiac as well. At that point, we could make cases and crystals and we could make dials and hands. Um, But in terms of movements, we didn't have too much that we could rely on ourselves. And so we were, like many small brands, buying into, at the beginning, you could find some of the fossil uh, brands, for example, would buy in Miyoto movements or Seiko movements, which are great. We, We love them in this community. But in terms of Zodiac, it kind of had to be Swiss. So we were buying into, we were buying Vajus and we were buying uh, proper chronographs and putting them into cases. And some people didn't realize the value of Zodiac, basically because of what was on the inside. But then you'd find entry-level ETAs, Solitas, Sopros for GMTs, and all of them are the right movements for the watch we were building. What we wanted was to look after ourselves. So we bought STP, Swiss Technology Productions, and the design of their three-handers. And in all honesty, if we had all the money in the world, we could have 37 different calibers uh, with STP currently. But we are, Fossil Group, you know, handing the money down or they're doing it correctly. We have to prove that we are growing to uh, get the investment back in, to push it into a certain collection, narrative, marketing, or for me, the innovations with technology. And so that's coming now. And what we did with STP at the beginning was that we had a really solid design. I think component-wise, they weren't brilliant. I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like, it is today. And so what we've done gradually is build the quality of the inside to be a level where we don't need Solita or Soprod anymore. And that's what's really exciting about now. We have you know, a design team, which is fantastic, but the craftsmanship that you ask of, if you ever, and this is any of your listeners, if you are ever in Switzerland and you're in VLBN and you see the Cartier Golf Factory or you, you, know, you see the Rolex Factory not too far from there in different parts that they make, but you are more than welcome to come and see, a, see our facility. We talked at the beginning um, about the Matrix, some of the computers that you just see. You know that scene where Neo first gets his powers. You see space and then you see everything. We are at that place where we've got space. Uh, We're only making about 15,000 watches right now. So with this facility, the craftsmanship, 
is gradual, it's organic, but we've got the room to grow. And then across the way, we've got Swiss, te- Swiss, Swiss technology productions that are just pumping right now. We've got so much ability. And that's when they approached me about joining, it, the movement was a massive part of, of what I want this brand to be. Because if we've got our own heartbeat, we can go back to what the Kalam family originally did. And um, we're, we're doing a watch this October uh, that's it was designed actually with Ariel Adams of a blog to watch. He helped us with design. He did a, a design with us a couple of years ago. It was an aquamarine dial. It was great. But the design of the movement we thought was a really good place to start. So, do you mind if I show you? Because I think this is coming Please. out. Right now. Sure. So this is probably one of the first podcasts that we'll see this. We're doing a watch called the Pineapple Dream. And oh. the, this dial, I mean, I, I'll, I'll send you all the images and obviously I'll try and send you a watch to review. But the dial is looking like the sunlight coming through pineapple leaves. It's so great. It gradiates. It's got lovely texture. And then there's obviously the yellow that goes through to the deep pineapple uh, leaf green. On the back, it says, uh, grab a slice of the good life. Um, it's all fun. But and if you were looking at what the idea was, I mean, the tropics, yeah, it's all fun. We do color. Let's do bold color. But also it's an old sign of wealth where any of the old English travelers of the day, if they went to the tropics and they brought back a pineapple, they would carry it around the streets and say, look, I'm doing really well in life. And then there's a, you know, a nod to a bit of that as well. But I think more than anything, it's fun. But this watch will be the first that we're going to add an STP 1-21 movement to. Just a number. But basically, we've taken our movement and we've added a silicon hairspring to the inside. So it's anti-shock, anti-magnetic. And we then have the ability to add that into all the models that are coming out for the future. Uh, we can ISO certify it. We, can, we, we obviously can still now chronometer certify it. But that movement with those types of capabilities mean that we're not asking for Salisas, we've not got our hands out in the in the, the supply chain waiting. So we can grow at a right at a, at a not a rapid rate, but an appropriate rate by ourselves for us. And we can also make sure that the community can trust us as well. Not like they can't now, but I think, like I said before, over the past few years, there might have been some ups and downs in terms of how we're building. But I think with this movement, we can really, really strive forward quite powerfully and, and be quite excited with it. And it'll also be a base for what will be for our own GMTs, like I said, with SoProd. Uh, and that would push us on to what the next part of our, our evolution will be. But craftsmanship, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, you could, I could send you a video of you know, Swiss Alps and you can see white coats and people walking close with loop, uh, working closely with loops. All of that is there. But what I think a lot of people might not miss or might miss is that we, we really care about that side of it. And that can sometimes get overshadowed with color. Uh, but it, it's definitely within the watch. And that's why this particular launch for me is really exciting because it pushes us forward. That's a beautiful watch. And thank yeah. you for showing. I, I I definitely need to see it in the flesh. Me and Justin, we'll, we'll see if we can get our hands on it. It's so fun. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> I, great in hand, by the way. The Zodiac watches, man, it, for everybody listening, like, you just have to get your hands on one. Next time that you can, go to a watch, you know, expo or something. Pick them up, yeah. play with them. They're fantastic. We got the click, I, you know. You can- even the, the click's nice. You know, you can hear it's a lovely action on the bezel. We've got these lovely uh, five-link Jubilee star bracelets. We have this really cool, uh, the video show, we've got these dive extensions in the clasp. So if you are a diver, it sits and fits well. But if you do like a nice big salty sandwich, it'll fit you on a on a warm day as well. If it, <laughs> uh, and there's quick release on it as well. So throw a Tropic strap on there and have some fun with it, which is great. There you so. go. Something um, that I guess would be a great segue is, we do our homework here, obviously. We're having you on, right? So we we do our homework. But STP 
you know, it took me down the rabbit hole of STP. STP, I mean, I could be wrong. Just ballpark has anywhere from like 15 to 17, I'd say approximately movements. Like they've got a pretty extensive portfolio of movements. And so you kind of teased that just now a little bit, but my question, and probably another one that's never been asked is, when are you bringing some of those movements into Zodiac? Like I saw some really awesome movements with power reserve indicators and sub seconds and, you know, so is what's, when's that coming? Within the next five years, I think right now, I mean, what we all speak quite quickly and we work quite fast in terms of what's now, what's coming. But I think for the wider world, especially away from our community, so, so many people are just still discovering what Zodiac is. And so we are running with that instead of walking. And I think what's lovely is, like I said, you can see on the website now, 15 to 17 different calibers. We have the ability to make up to 37 different ones. Uh, and that's across the spectrum. I mean, the only movement by the end of next year that won't be STP will be the, uh, I think it's the SW500, 510 from Salita with 62 hours of power. That's in our, our chronograph, our C-chron. Yeah. And I think you know, we bought a thousand of those movements. So we've got a couple of watches out now and we've got another iteration that we could come out with in the next couple of years but after that we have to look forward and no matter how much you know those movements are on their website to make it still takes a year and a half to put everything together to then be in production on a bigger scale so the the wheels are in motion for two particular movements uh, for 2025 we've got a really fun one that's coming next year uh, that kind of appeases all the vintage watch collectors out there which i'm really excited about uh, but more than anything, for me, looking to 25 and beyond is when I think we'll be on a on a place where we deserve those movements or the name can can hold up to it. Because right now, if you picked up, uh, let's say, a power reserve, and we're not doing a power reserve for a few years, but if you picked up a power reserve today and went, oh, cool, I don't think it really would change anything. I think if you can pick up a, a, three-hander, um, a three-hander dive watch or a dive star case and go with this material, this power reserve, and this price – think we're in the right place but if you then add these complications and the prices are edging towards three grand when we're not right to be there just yet you might confuse about confuse people where we want to be and i don't think we're ultra complicated just yet that zodiac really never has been at its height but it did do some different things so you look at the astrographic and those mystery dials i mean the complication wasn't the movement it was the way those discs were designed to not hit each other and have that aesthetic of floating hands uh, those kind of things are really exciting for our community. And then there's a, a few movements, which I won't say, which are really, you know, I love. So we've, we've got some good things. But, yeah, great question again, Blake. I noticed, too, like, you know, you never really notice and understand the quality of the watch until you own one. So I talked to you before pre-stream about how I got my first Zodiac. Yeah. And then I'll lead into the question or the the point I was trying to make here. But... You know, there's very few watches out there that just pop off your wrist, you know, and Mike was walking in to wind up and just this bold white watch. It's just like smack you in the face like and he was just going around and everybody was trying to like pull his arm off, you know, (laughs) and and so I in my mind, I'm like, yo, what the hell is that? You know, and then Mike and I, we got acquainted um, and then I, very quickly, I knew I had to to buy one. So at day one, I was showing Justin. I was like, dude, Justin, what do you think, man? He's like, dude, do it. And then that that simple, right? 
I love wine. I thought it was going I love. I thought it was going to be a gift, you know, for somebody, but it, I just ended up keeping it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I oh, yeah, well, you did buy it for somebody else. I remember now. Yeah, I put mine on now. That's the one I was wearing. Was I wearing the orange that day? I think you were wearing the watermelon. Oh yeah, of course. This is the one I probably like the most. But you, that looks great on you. That. Okay. I I love it. I love when it. I, and so, when I came into Vegas, I wore that because I, I specifically asked Blake. I said, I know this is brand new. I said, <laughs> I need to wear that for a day. Let, let me rock it. He goes, okay. So, you know, he puts on one of his 80 other watches and <laughs> gives, me, gives me the Super Seawolf. And I repped it, man. And everywhere that we went, we just hit the shops in Vegas. Um, we made our rounds. And, and Blake, of course, has, um you know, clients and friends and stuff like that in the industry oh. introducing me. And they all loved it, man. I mean, they gobbled it up. They were like, that is such a cool-looking watch. And I was like, isn't it? It's not mine, but it's fantastic. I mean, we, that, we've done Watermelon Well for a couple of years, and then we did this one. And, yeah, I think we kind of owned it a little bit more now. But I think the one thing I like about going to craftsmanship and to talk about how we do things, I mean, this is a slightly bigger Zodiac. It's 41 millimeters. But even the back, I mean, we ceramic is porous. People get a little worried about having ceramic because you can break it. We added in that that tub on the yeah, and then we also fortified the lugs. So the strength of what's in here is great. And we also chronometer certified these. We took the extra yep. cost on, even though everything's within chronometer rating, only a few models a year do we choose that maybe deserve the, the certificate. And we did it with this one because it's such a unique material for Zodiac, but um, we did it right. And this is this is our way of saying a lot of customers will go, oh, could you do Mother of Pearl? Could you do Diamonds? Could you do a ladies watch? I think we've always said Zodiac's for everybody, but this definitely screams whatever you want the watch to be uh, and i think that's why ceramic's been really good this year for us there's there's a flavor for everybody and yeah you actually literally just alluded to what i was about to say because i saw people on the release like i think you paired and that watch came out like literally like the exact same time as wind yeah. up and people were saying like oh it's ceramic like why ceramic like isn't <laughs> it gonna break and all that and i was like you know I can actually jump on and actually talk about this now because I own one, but I was like, dude, it's got a steel core, you know, like, and that, you know, that thought, clearly you guys were thinking about that when you guys were developing the watch. And well, last, year, gets, last year we did it in black. And so it was easier to kind I of cover it up. But when you did it in white, I mean, obviously we did the steel on the case back and it was easier to see and to show, but we had to make people, I think, especially as we grow craftsmanship aside i think we have to be trusted and so when we try and do things we want to be a little bit cognizant that people would look at us maybe with a a view to the the rest of the community the rest of the brands that they could choose so certain watches we could go a little bit bolder in color or in certain models especially like with the pro divers we turn up the loom and we get the best that we can uh, and still trying to keep it at that price point and then with the meteorite again going back to that model doing a eight hundred thousand year old dial for under two grand with an in-house movement it's not a movement that changes the world but it, it's ours but that was where people were i mean i had a guy walk, rocking up to me wearing his um his rolex he goes how much is that and he had a meteorite dial and it's you can't compare the two but it still has a material and a value to certain people and perception and i think that's where zodiac has its chance to kind of stand out and, and obviously meteorite is not something you produce in a laboratory. Like every single dial is unique to that yeah. specific watch. I learned a lot about and, that the trade show. And there was a, a jewelry specialist who writes all about, I wish I had my name to tell, to tell you, but he, he uh, concentrates on meteorite 
jewelry he was wearing was dripping in it and he goes how did you get this quality out we didn't you don't know we just went to a broker and it's from sweden is it good because it's one of the best i've seen for a wash i'm like that's amazing maybe we should have charged more but it's that we, we charged the right thing at the time so we're really proud of it yeah i, I i'm super happy with with my zodiac justin you're coming in soon the only thing that i've ever really thought about is the steel buckle no i know like, there's Where's my white ceramic buckle, man? I know, man. We did it. We, the great thing with the dart is that you can you can you can have a DLC, uh, and we we've, we've got certain materials. You've also got to think that when you are doing buckles, especially for straps, I mean every single individual piece has to be made bespoke. And if we're only making a certain amount, there's certain things that we have to be cognizant of to keep the price point where we are. So when we did a bronze watch, we made sure you know that was still going to be on a steel buckle as well, but. You know, I always believe that that's what you buy. Everything else around it is shoes, belts. I mean, we all throw it on a NATO. We're going to choose our own off-market strap because that's what the community does. But I do agree with you. But that that would end up making the price a tiny bit more to a point that would be noticeable just on our back end. And we thought it was worth it just to kind of highlight the dial and the case with the strap more than the buckle. Jokes aside, it hasn't really bothered me. But I was, I, you know, on the wrist <laughs> roll. <laughs> yeah. I see. Particular, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're important. They're important, for sure. So I'll uh, I'll kind of reach back in the pocket. Um, in terms of, like, technology and innovation, Mike, what are some of the advancements that, that Zodiac has introduced over the years? I know we talked off stream a little bit, but can you give the viewers some insight into that, how you guys have innovated over time? Yeah, I, again, it kind of goes back to the small points. We talked about, you know, when you pick up a, a bracelet, things like that, and you see the – the extension in the clasp or you know that it's a quick release or it's even the small things where we've smoothed the inside of the, the five link bracelet so it doesn't catch on guys hairs on their arms you know the small things that we think that way or when you're looking at a, a dial and, and you know there's a pronounced color difference in terms of dial to hands we even make sure that with the the loom on the hour to the minute hand sometimes there are slight differences so it's it's everything that makes it a bit, bit unique but i think we really push the boat out when we came out with our Pro Diver. Uh, our Pro Diver, like, like I said earlier, is our more hefty watch, 300-meter dive watch. Um, but it was the ice certification that we got a chance to kind of buy a movement that could do it. But now we're going to be able to have our own within that collection going forward. But it was all about the bezel. I mean, I'll see if I can find one here. Here we go. So this is one that's now sold out. We only made, I think, 100 of these. And um, then, we, then COVID happened and we lost our, Bezel supply. It's very hard in this video, but the loom on this, it's nuclear. Like when that goes oh, up, yeah. you, it, it, there's no, there's no loom like it. And it was so hard to make. And that's why I think, and it was costly for us to kind of get it going, which is why we said, let's do a hundred of each color. And then COVID happened and we lost our bezel supply. But these types of innovations are now what we're known for. Because if you're going to see us with color, then you see us in a, you know condescent light and you see us blowing out of a, of a, of a wrist shot because of the loom. I think that's a really good place to be because you know we still a sub two thousand dollar watch, so we're not going to say right this has got X Y and Z movement capabilities. You know, we've got forty two to forty four hours of power. That's a good amount of power. Right. We don't have in house seventy hour power reserve just yet, but that'd be somewhere we'd like to go. If we're not there just now, what can we do? And aesthetically, we just try and be a bit different. So um, yeah, appreciate that question. But I think it's the subtle t- it's the subtle things you can sometimes miss. Uh, when you're reading a review compared to what you'd find when really picking one up and trying it on. E- even our lugs, I mean, 
it's not a fat watch, but the lugs are so wonderfully uh, surrounding of the wrist. You can get the 39 millimeter skin to the 42 millimeter um, pro diver and it sits and fits really well. Small thing that I love, but I think that's a really important thing for the community as well. I agree. So, I mean, you kind of alluded into the pineapple, um, but there, are there any other collections or series watches that some of the enthusiasts should be excited about here around the corner? Yeah. And I'm not actually going to say this one just in case it, you, there's, you know, you, you have a schedule thing and you want to put it out, but I will say if anybody can go to the wind up in New York city, have a look just before that. Uh, we're coming up now. A couple, we're recording this just the middle of September. A couple of weeks from now, we're going to New York to do an event with Worn and Wound, and it will appease every single one of us who are fond of the 90s, put it that way. And uh, if you remember the watch we did a few years back that had the Saved by the Bell nickname because it had the coloring of the You remember yeah. that was crazy graphic green, and it was so, so cool. It was very, very much a child, children of the 90s. This one taps into that, but with a lot more R&D. And I'm just going to say that when you say about what's innovation and I say Loom, that's going to be the collection that will just go, how the heck and why the heck did you do that? But it'll make sense. And it's not just one watch. You can buy one of each. There are two colors. And as soon as you know why we've chose those two colors, and you can pick the one. I mean, we're not saying you have to buy both, but it's it really will be, I need that color or that color. Or actually, as a friendship group or a partner, it'd be great to have both. So um, we, we hope you like it, but it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. You're to hear first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you'll all want to come to the party when you hear what it is. It's, but it's <laughs> that we've already got a small space that we can do it in, so it'll be, it'll be off a moment. But we hope that people go and do what we're doing after they see how, us at the party. How many of those are you planning on producing? So this is going to be a bigger one. Um, this is going to be, I think, 300 of each color. Uh, usually when we do it with anybody, we do 82 or 182, but with the R and D that goes into how this was made, uh, and you'll see it when it comes out in terms of case, dial, bezel, strap, packaging, it's all of it is nuts. And again, it's you'll, when you look at the watch, you'll see a seawolf. That's the, that's the basis we're going off of. And that's a big thing for us. But when you look at the coloring and the technology that goes around it, it's so fun. And that, in all honesty, it has to be looked at as fun. And we talked about at the very beginning about fighting margins to make sure it's right. Worn and wound and the wind-up you know, crowd, you, you can't put to a too expensive of a watch because it's just not going to work. It's got to be there of a moment to have fun. So we have really, you know, fought hard to make sure that we, yeah, not just profitable, but we've really cut our margins to make sure we can fit within a price point here because we really believe that if we go too high, the community might not want to spend that money not because he's not worth it, but because we know that that crowd, this time in our evolution, it's the right thing to do to kind of hurt ourselves a tiny bit that won't hurt us because we're owned by fossil. But it's the right thing to do to keep the price point for the community. I've, I've noticed personally, there's kind of like an impulse price point. Anybody sub $600 usually can impulsively buy a watch, right? Agreed. I see it. I love it. I'll buy it. You're in that price segment where people have to at least think about it. Yep. But I'm also glad that you're doing enough because me personally, that's how I ended up with 80 watches. That's 10 podcasts. We can put all those together, but um, you know, it puts you in this weird predicament where if you produce 50 or if you produce 75, you're like, I have to impulsively buy this watch. I'm not sure. I like it. I like it. I like it. I love it. 
but I'm not sure how it will fit into my collection. And that's what a lot of collectors don't think about or they fall fall into. So well, you give you us buy, just a, Well, did you buy the Blancpain swatch? Did you go for that? I went to the the launch. I was 30th in line. And again, I was just like, I don't I don't really care. Like it I, I literally knew I could come back to the swatch store the next day and pick it up. And I went back to the next day and I was like the only one there. And they didn't have any. So you know, me being in Vegas, I could easily pick one up. And then I turned around and I met my buddy who worked at Rolex, who sold me all my Rolexes. So we like, you know, went and had a little bonding moment there. And he, he was actually getting back because he left Rolex and now he's coming back into the industry. But, but no, a moment. You know, like, a moment. I, I have a couple of the, uh, the swatch watches, uh, the moon, the moon watch. And uh, I, yeah. I walked in there and the only one they had was Mars and, and the sun and they're disgusting, but I love the fact that I have them because they're of a moment. So my wife likes yellow, so she'll wear the yellow one, but I didn't buy it for any other reason. The fact that I'm in this industry and I like the moments that they bring. I think when you are looking at the price point, and this, I can say the, the price, I think it's $15.95 of this worn and wound collection, but it's still going to, it's a chunk of change you have to think about, but it's not going to hurt you. If you're going into that environment, you kind of know what you're looking at. It's going to be around a $2,000 mark and below. And anything above that's going to be something that's going to be really special that you've sought out. This is in that sweet spot. So, well, you you produce enough of them where the buyers don't have to fall into that pity party of buying a watch where they're like, "Oh shit, there's only fifty pieces. Yeah, I have to buy this now, or I'm not going to get it." But you'll produce five hundred, seven hundred, you know, two fifty. And Zodiac is such a, a niche brand, you know, that you'll have an opportunity, usually, hopefully, to get one. Right? You yeah. know, where I can. We're actually going to we're going to share the responsibility. So, you know, you don't want to put too much pressure or a burden on a retailer. either. I mean, worn and wound are a, a, a bigger company, but, you know, they still have certain budgets they have to keep yeah. it in. So we're going to take a small proportion of the, the, the allocation and put it onto ZodiacWatches.com because it will help share the narrative. And so because if you put it everywhere, sometimes you can get diluted, but that's their watch. But we're supporting them. So we'll be on our website and our social media. Even if they sell out, there might be a couple left on ZodiacWatches.com, but we'll be able to say, this is worn and wound. This is why. This is how it's made. This is why it was made and what it's made of. And for me, you know, you want to elevate your partners. And I think that's why they're such a great part. We've done it with you know, Hodinkee. We did Huckberry recently. We've got some really great partners, but we have to be very you know, thoughtful in terms of how we grow because we can't do 20, 30 watches anymore because we have responsibilities uh, and we have to grow right. So it is always a big conversation of how many you make of each watch. But now we've got enough retailers or we've got enough of a presence. We kind of stepped up a little bit. And it's it's quite scary to to, to grow that many watches or to put that watches out there. But I yeah. think we've got, you know, the community understand why we're doing it. It's good. I mean, we, gosh, we did a watch a few years this is before I joined. We did, a, we did this watch. We did the, uh, the World Timer. And it was great. But unfortunately, uh, there was a misspelling of the word Singapore. And so we've made, made a few hundred of these and they got sent out. And so we tried to do the buyback or, you know, send back to the vendor. We'll look after you. And everyone went, nope, we like that. We like that you messed up and we're going to keep this. So, you know, and that was the first time we'd, we'd stepped into doing a lot and somebody missed the spelling of a word. So, you know, there's all the pressures in the world. So this is us kind of going out there again saying we're ready. But it, it's a it's a great project. You'll love it. 
They said, where is uh, Sina pour at? <laughs> it was pour like you pour a drink, so it ended up being fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Pour one for them. God bless um, it. That's so I'm going to have to look it up now. I'm going to have to find it. So Sounds like see. a Sounds like the new release is going to have some staying power for sure, especially if you guys are talking about doing uh, you know, 300 of each color and stuff too. So yeah. I'm excited about that. I'll be keeping my eye out. I'll go ahead and start kind of wrapping it up if that's okay, Mike. I know we're approaching an hour here soon. I've got one last question for you if that's okay. Um, cool, anything. How do you envision the future of Zodiac uh, within the next you know, five to ten years or so? I think it's got to be a, a little bit away from just our American eyes uh, over here because we see our retailers, we see our partners – I would love to think that we've got an organicness now where we can then, I think within the next year or two, we can start looking at Asia and further afield. And, you know, I get texts all the time on Instagram saying, hey, you uh, you coming to Germany yet? But, you know, it's, it's really important. I tell them that if we don't do it right now, you'll never want us again. So for me, the big part is to be a little bit of everywhere, but still feel quite small and quite niche. And then, you know, obviously I want to to be respectful of what the brand used to be for the collecting community. But my biggest thing in the next three to five years is to have every year or two innovation. I really want to be different. I don't want us just to be known as color. I want us to be known as color, fun, but also never standing on our laurels. And I think that's where we're, we're, we're heading towards. So I'm very excited for the next few years. Um, you know, Fossil have supported us. And I think even though we might be the smallest part of their company, I think they see us as probably some of the best of it. And, you know, today I'm quite proud that I'm I'm going to head after this to the airport and go to New York. And, you know, we've been nominated for an award as one of the best brands of the year. And, you know, nice. do we deserve it? No, but just to have somebody say that you're on it, that, that's a really good thing. So the people yeah. in Boston, you go and see if you lose. If you lose, have a nice meal. But, you know, we'll, we'll be out there with the community. We're definitely a community brand and, you know, would be very open and any any questions that you or your listeners or viewers might have just just hunt me down on on instagram and you can you can shoot me a dm i'm always open for a chat and i think that's that's a big thing for the brand as well we and not just me but everybody who works with we want to feel like you know, we're not just a brand that you can you know find a, a press release we want to be accessible and if we can feel that personal or that kind of friendly feel i i feel like we've done a really good thing for the, for the brand and the industry it's great. And um, we love you. Obviously, we love the brand. We love Zodiac. It's very rare that you purchase a watch and you feel like you're a part of a family instead of more of a community, you know. So, you know, we haven't known each other very long, obviously, but immediately just the energy and the passion and everything is uh, sucked me in, you know, this way it, it, it you know, we attracted me to you. Well, it means a lot to me as well. I mean, people buy people, but we also know that you know, there's a lot of choice out there. And, you know, if you've chosen to spend your money on us, it's not a transaction. It's to say, thanks, you are part of the brand that you are now, you know, on this podcast or you're walking down the street, you're a walking billboard. And so we've got to treat you as a way of saying, thanks, you're, you're part of our growth. And that's a, that's a humble mentality, but I think it's sometimes missed in luxury. Luxury is not about money. It's about experience. And um, I think that's where people and friendships matter. So I appreciate you saying that. I feel very, very similar to you as well. So thank you. Having a billboard in Las Vegas is, is a good place. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to find a partner there as well. So I can come more and party with you. So I have, uh, so I, I used to work at a retail that had over 30 brands and we specialized in mostly the high end stuff, yeah. but I have a lot of resources here in Las Vegas. So I could definitely get some contacts for you and push them to you. 
You really um, and we can really talk about this more off stream, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell us right now your business dealings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I've got I've got so it's many partners. We we in all my watch career, uh, the places that you know we're not in. Like I said, that kind of joke about being a vampire and not crossing the door. Like you guys go into retail stores, and it's amazing how many times I get a call from a a retailer or an email or a DM and say, "Hey, someone just asked about your watch. What are you?" And because the, the retailers are very busy people and they have, you know, up to 30 brands, like you say, and there could be some big pressures from the Swatch group or the Richmond group. And sometimes the independents can slip through. But if the community are going into the stores and asking, it's amazing what it can spur in terms of our side as well. Um, we opened up a really brilliant store in Massachusetts recently, um, uh, Royal Jewelers, and they just saw us through social, through what we were doing on LinkedIn. And then they came to see us in Vegas at a trade show and, now they're one of our best retailers in the country. And it's just basically through seeing a good picture that someone said, actually, this is brilliant. And that resonated with the owner and the buyer. So we're all in this together. So I really appreciate anything you guys offer, good or bad. I'll take it. I don't mind a kick in every now and then. It's, it's actually kind of funny. So, you know, a brand like Oris, I mean, a behemoth, right? They only have like, I think they only have like one location or maybe two locations in Vegas, you know, which is weird because when I was working there, people were like, oh, do you have Oris or do you, you know, do you have Christopher Ward or, or it's like, no, I don't really know of any places that sell Oris, you know, there's only like one, one dealer. Yeah, and so it's a, it's a weird market and people come here to spend stupid money. And so it leaves this huge kind of gap, you know, in the market because you get a lot of people that are asking for more of these smaller brands where you can get more for your money than coming in and asking for an IWC or Panerai or Vostron or Longa or Rolex or Protect, right? So we need you here, you know, for sure. So well, we're ready. We're ready. Have have credit card, we'll travel. So uh, <laughs> that's the same within North Carolina. I mean, I've spoke to the, you know, some of the watch communities down there or even the states that sometimes get lost in, you know, I, I lived in Michigan for 10 years and we just opened up with Direction Jewelers in Birmingham, Michigan. And, you know, that's a really wonderful hub of yeah, old money, new money. Yeah, it's just on the outskirts of Detroit, but Birmingham's great. But a lot of the community sometimes, I'm saying this brand-wise, sometimes might miss it because you have to only go to where is LA, New York, South Florida, yeah, Texas, there's some big stores as well. But everyone everywhere has got an appetite. And like I said, we don't make many watches, uh, but you do want to really feel them. So uh, that's why wind-ups are great, which is why these podcasts can fill gaps. And, you know, if you are having a tough time finding it, uh, again, shoot me a DM. I'll try and find something, some way of, of, of having you hold it or at least see it. But uh, there's always somebody in a community that wants to meet up for a beer, right, and show their watches. Yeah. Yeah, next time you're in Vegas, beers are on me. We're going to link everything below. Um, we'll link your Instagram if that's okay. So people can communicate with you directly. We'll link, of course, the Zodiac website. Yeah. Any final words? I, again, I know we're, we've just really cra cracked over an hour here and, you know, I just want to be respectful of your time. So here's your last opportunity to say something directly to our listeners, viewers. We've got more listeners than we do viewers, but. That's all right. Well, Blake, Justin, thanks for the opportunity for letting us chat. Um, and like I said, um, this is a, it's a big part of my, love of the watch industry and the community. So uh, we know that we've been around for a long time. We know that some people might have legitimate uh, questions about what the brand's been for the last 40 years, but we're in, you're in safe hands. We are doing the right thing by the name. And um, if you ever need anything, we're always available. So stick with us. If it's not the, the next watch, there'll always be something coming out, but um, it's never going to be boring. So thank you all. 
Thank you for coming. Mike, get your ass to the airport. Of course, everybody, thanks for listening. Glad we were able to have Mike on. This has been one that we've been trying to schedule for a while, and finally his uh, an opening came, and, and here we are. So uh, until next time, thank you for listening to The Lonely Wrist. We love all you guys, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye.